crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he lives. That's the way the King James put it. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And that's what we've been thinking about. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, all we're going to be doing in the, fall, in the winter here is, uh, for the next nine weeks is trying to sort out what that life looks like. Because Paul, again, that speaks about what's going to be ahead, what we're going to have in the future. But it also tells us about what that looks like. What that means in this period while we were on this earth. And that's what we want to be thinking about. So we have a long way to go tonight. So you pray for me that I'll have discipline. Or, you know, we could be here late. But we will be disciplined. But we have to cover once. It's a simple point. But we want to cover it pretty thoroughly. And so let's trust the Lord uh, to guide and direct. And meet us as we are thinking tonight. So it will be perfectly clear to us the greatness of our salvation. Let's pray. Well, we come to give you thanks for what it means to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to give you thanks for the enormity of the work that he did in order that we might have life. We thank you for the blessing of being in Christ. We're coming and asking you to minister to us through your word by your spirit tonight to understand all that you've done, and to enable us to enter into it and in the daily life that we are living to experience the spiritual vitality in Jesus Christ. So we come and commit our time into your hands and look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about the whole concept of salvation, theologians generally separate it into three parts, right? This is the way they describe salvation. They describe it as, first of all, justification, then sanctification, then glorification. We've been thinking just recently about it in that life of faith, that the foundation of that life is justification. And right at the top of the page there, this is the threefold nature, the three basic dimensions of our salvation. Justification is that gift that God gives to us when we first come to Him. And we entrust our life to Him. And He gives us a standing with God which is permanent and complete. A right standing with God. Now that, that standing, and we're not going to go back over that too much. Um, that standing is complete. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that means that from that point on, the person who has come to Jesus can go to God any time he needs to. He has the Blessing of God towards him. As we saw last week, God hates one thing, it's sin. Remove sin from the program and the full blessing of God flows. Sin is like a dam holding back, if you would, the, the blessing of God to human beings. Take it out of the way and God begins to work and then the flow begins to take place. That's the justification and that doesn't change. It is, and this is uh, that second point there when it says it's complete, perfect, and eternal. Those are the very words of Griffith Thomas, a, a very capable theologian uh, in the beginning of the 1900s. Complete, perfect, and eternal. That's a fixed part of our experience. Now, the order should be sanctification next, but we're going to go to glorification because 
Out ahead of us, there is another part which is fixed and which is perfect. That is our glorification. Glorification just means that God has a plan for you throughout eternity. The plan is not just to have an endless earth going on with people living and dying on it. uh, And this process that we're seeing right now going on forever. There is a definite end. He had a program in mind at the beginning in which at the end there would be something to his praise and his glory. When a person passes off this earth, they enter into the beginning of that. That will be finished. That is what gives us hope. God's program will be finished. And when that program is finished, for those who know him, there is nothing which will oppose us. In heaven, there will be no sin, no death, no fear, no separation. All those things that make life on this earth a little bit difficult will be gone and will be in a perfect environment with a perfect God experiencing in perfection his love. Wonderful, wonderful. That's out there. From now until the end of this session, we're going to be thinking about that part that comes in between. That's called sanctification, and that is the progressive experience. As we have this one way to put it, the progressive experience of becoming more like the Lord. Now, in another way, we could say it's this. It's the progressive experience of entering into the full experience of life. Because when you become like the Lord, then you experience the life that he came for you to experience. Because remember we said that Jesus came that we might experience life. Not only just not just the eternal life, that part's way out ahead of us. But we might experience tonight, while we're here, life. That tomorrow when we get up. And we face whatever it is that we do face tomorrow, whatever job you go to, whatever place you go to, whoever you meet, that in those circumstances you should experience life. Now, sanctification is the progressive experience of coming into that. It involves two things. It comes, first of all, because of a perfect salvation. God gives you, at the beginning, a perfect salvation. But I would dare say that if we had testimonies tonight, we couldn't give testimonies of perfect experience. It's an imperfect experience that we have, but we have a perfect salvation. And that causes confusion for a lot of people. Why is it that they're having this problem? Is it real? What's going on? What does God promise? And that's what we want to think about tonight. The perfect salvation and then the imperfect experience and how we need to face that. Okay, first of all, the perfect experience. What is that perfect experience that we have? Now, I have, beginning in the second one, the perfect experience of our salvation. I have a number of verses, and rather than turn to them, I just put the part there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some really fast exposition. All right, some fast exposition background. This is about, um, I've been thinking about this for a long time. This is about five sermons stuck together, you know, so, hey, best to you. Just listen fast, all right? Be ready to listen fast. Okay, here we go. First one, probably one of the better known verses in the the Word. It says, in in him, this is just part of a verse, and in him you've been made complete. That comes from the book of Colossians. Um, Paul wrote a letter to a group of people at a town called Colossae. And the reason he wrote that letter is there was a church there, but into that church had come people who were beginning to teach things which aren't true. And what they said was this, 
that Jesus Christ is a good start for the Christian life. You should, you should listen to what he said. It's a, good, it's a good starting point. But if you want to get to the fullness of life, if you want to experience the richness of what there is to be had on this earth, you have to go beyond him. You have to go beyond him, and we'll just I'll throw this out without expounding all that. Um, you need to have special experiences. If you saw angels, it would make your life better. That was one of them that's in the book. If you knew the secret knowledge, there are secrets out there, and everybody doesn't know them. But if you get on the inside and know them, then the fullness of life comes. I, I want to emphasize that one because that all the time is popping up in the church. All right, it's always somebody. It's got a way you could find the secret things, which if you knew them, if you could just enter into these secret things, it would be ever so much better. There are the, then there was others that said, you know, what you need is a disciplined life. If you know the discipline and carry it out correctly, then you can enter into the fullness. Paul is addressing that, and he says something. He says, no, you don't. No, you don't. How about that? That's simple enough. It says, in Jesus Christ, you have everything you will ever need. There are no secrets. God is not keeping secrets. He's not trying to hide things from us. He is shouting to us. He is shouting to us through the Lord Jesus Christ exactly where the place of life is and how it can be experienced. And so what he says there is, in summation, is this. That in Jesus Christ, this is the verse that comes right before us, before this. In him, the fullness of the Godhead was on this earth in a bodily form. He was God himself on this earth. And because of that, he says, and in him you have been made complete. Now, I want you to note this is where exposition comes in there. You have, when? You have been made complete. He is talking to people that were struggling in their Christian lives. They were struggling. They had to be delivered from this error. They were tending to move towards it. And so he had to expound this. But he's, despite the problems that they were having in their experience, he says this, but you have been made complete. That's a wonderful place to start in Christian life. It's already complete. Okay, now that's, that's one. Nothing else is needed. Now, in order that we might see that that's not just one verse and I'm ripping it out of context and it's, I'm twisting it to make it say something it's not, let's go to another verse that says pretty much the same thing. At the same time, Paul was in prison and writing the book of Colossians, he wrote the book of Ephesians. It's in short order. They're, they're very close. They almost follow the same outline. So it's, they're very similar books. They must have been written very close. Paul starts the book of Ephesians with a statement which I think fills out, you are complete in him who is the head over all principalities and powers. I've, I've quoted many times up here. It's very important for it. It starts off with this. It's, it's the third verse of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. And you have the first verse of a long section there. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, we have talked about the book of Ephesians before, and we've gone over this, but let me just, again, note that. When did he do it? He has blessed us. That's exactly the same as you have been made complete. You have been blessed. Because he's going to go on in the next chapter, to, or next verse, excuse me, to say this, 
that this blessing in Christ began before the foundations of the earth. That's how far back it goes. That's how long God has been thinking about blessing you. And then he goes on to say that blessed with every spiritual blessing and that every spiritual blessing implies that there is nothing more God can do for you than he has done for you in Christ. He hasn't held anything back. It's not a partway salvation. It is complete. That's, it's the, the parallel of you are complete. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing that there is. It's already done. In the heavenly places, that is, and that's where God is. Everything that is there that is of any benefit has been bestowed on you in Christ. It's the same thing. You are complete in him. Now he says, all this has been bestowed on you because of your relationship to Jesus Christ. That's pretty pretty good, isn't it? Pretty good. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. All right. So, now I want to go another one. All right. Uh, this one is found in Second Peter. Peter expressing this very thought, words it a little bit differently at the early part of his uh, second epistle, and it says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. All right, now let's go back to the main point here. Right in the middle it says that by his divine power he has granted to us everything. Right, he's already granted. Now the, the, the thought in the granted is this. He did it in the past. At some point in the past is something that was done at a given time in the past. And that which was done at a given time in the past continues to be true and has an implication in your life. Just as you would say somebody who has done all the work at a given point of time had a doctorate degree bestowed on them, and that doctorate degree then has implications in the rest of their life. They weren't always a doctor. They were a, they had that doctorate degree bestowed at a given point of time, but it it's always there after that. See, God has given us, at a point of time, something which is going to continue to be ours for the rest of eternity. And when he did that, he gave it to us as a package. He says here that it's all things, everything pertaining, everything that's necessary. Now, he divides up into two things, for life and godliness, for just general living and for sanctification. But it's, all, it's already there. It's already complete. Now, if we're going to understand the life of faith, a first step is understanding this. You already, if you've come to Jesus Christ and you have entrusted your life to him, you come and say, I want you to save me. I am convinced I am in, in trouble with God, that I have sinned against you. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're ready to receive me. I'm ready to turn from that. I'm ready to put my life into your hands. At that point, he gives you a salvation. The salvation you get at that point is the same salvation that the Apostle Paul had. It's the same salvation that the Apostle Peter had. They didn't have more than you have. Right? You're given exactly the same thing. 
Whoever it is that you believe is the greatest saint that you've ever seen had exactly the same salvation as you had. And you had it from the moment you started. Talk to students about this and um, I'm getting up there so, hey, I can remember before computers were on everybody's desk. I remember the first one that was dropped on my desk, personal computer. I had real doubts about whether this was going to be of any value. All right, so I've, I've come into that world, okay? I've come into that world, kind of. So here it is. And the reason that I was interested in it was because it had a word processor. It was a very crude one compared to what we've got now, but it was a word processor. I hated typing, all right? I can't tell you how nervous. I, I always, typing up a paper in college was a... It was a brutal experience. It was easier to go through the whole rest of the course than type up the paper. I could not get three things in a row without making I mean, my white, white out was my favorite. Anyway, it looked bad when I got done, all right? When I got to a computer that you could erase, you could you back up. This was the greatest. I was doing backflips in my heart. Over this thing. So I was willing to get there. So I'm, I'm doing this time. But here's a problem. I had always worked with a typewriter. And this keyboard looks an awful lot like a typewriter. And I just treated it like a typewriter. Now you will notice that my notes are in outlines. My notes have been in outlines since I was in high school. They're, not, they're terrible outlines. But they, they just that's the way I think. That's how I put things down on a piece of paper. And so I had this, com- this uh, computer. And I'm typing out my outline. And I put, I go over here to the right spot, and I type I, because that's the Roman numeral one, right? And then I find, oh, yeah, and I tab it over. This is great. And then I type this out, and all the mistakes I can go back on. And I'm going through this. I was talking to a student a couple days after that about my outline, how I was happy about that, but, you know, it's, he said, oh, my goodness, how, how did you do that? And he took me to that computer, and it was, <laughs> it was one of those great days. This computer already had a program on it, so I didn't have to go to one. It just, you know, push here, and it goes to one. <laughs> All right? And here was the best one. And then I could push two, and so, oh, no, I wanted to put one in between here. And you put it in there, and it renumbered the whole thing. Now, if you are not old enough to remember a typewriter, if you made a mistake on that, (laughs) you throw it away and then you start typing all over again because it does not put it back in the way it was. Now, the point I want to make here is this. That computer could do that long before I knew it could do it, and it was already mine. I was in full possession of a word processor could do that, and I then got a little book, and I began to find out this thing can do all kinds of good stuff. It can put page numbers at the corner, so I don't have to number the pages. And no matter how much stuff I stick in here, the page number will be right. Amazing. Now, again, I think it shows how old I am and all the rest, but the point is this. It could do that long before I figured out how to do it. Right? You have a complete salvation in Jesus Christ. It's everything you're going to need for the rest of your life. That's what 
That's what Peter said, right? He, by this, he granted to us, he gave us, and it's now yours, all that pertains, everything you need for life and godliness. You don't need to go anywhere else. You don't need to, to add in something. It's all right there. You can look at it another way. I like to do cross or not crossword um, jigsaw puzzles. I know it, it, people just divide there. You know, it's some people. You know, what a stupid way to spend time. But anyway, I like to do them. Now you know what? How you get if you've never had one? You get this jigsaw puzzle. It comes in a little box, and if I like the ones that come, and when you open up that box, there's a plastic bag. That gives me great confidence. Because there's nothing quite like putting a puzzle together and find out the pieces are missing. All right. So, but when you're in that plastic bag, you know the right here is that entire puzzle. And here is a picture of what that puzzle looks like. All right. And then you dump it out on the table. You cut that bag open. You put it out on the table. And you have the whole puzzle, right? Well, what do you have to do then? Then you have to put it together. And you have to make it look like this. And there's a process. But if you're in that process and you're having trouble putting it together, you don't go somewhere and say, you know what? I've got another puzzle over there. I don't think, you're, I don't think this piece exists. So I'm going to go to another puzzle and I'm going to dump it out of here. You don't do that. Why? Because the puzzle's complete. It's all right there. And if your little kids haven't gotten in there and stolen a piece and you haven't got one caught in your clothes and run it to the next room or one of those things that happens. But otherwise, all the pieces are there. And I think about people's Christian lives, and that's pretty much, it's a pretty good picture, I think, of what's happening in Christian lives. Everybody gets the same puzzle, and everybody's working on it. And it goes together differently with different people. Some parts of puzzles are pretty easy, unless you get one of those ones that's just all one color. Those are for people in a different category. But I'm talking about one that has a picture on it. It's easy to find the steeple on a church, all right? You can get them together fast. Sky, not so fast. Bushes, ooh, bushes, all right? Yeah, just tough. But you eventually get them all together, and, and you're kind of building it out. Now, in a real sense, that's what, that's what sanctification is all about. It's all about having all the pieces and then trying to figure out how do those pieces go together? And you, you, for some people, that goes very rapidly. They put it together faster. Some people don't. They don't put it together all that fast. There's a lot of differences between us, right? If you were raised in a home where you were taught all of your life what that word says, and you just ignored it, but you still were hearing it because the mom made you go to church and you heard all this stuff and you thought biblically for all your life and then you finally come to Christ and you say, okay, I'm going to trust it to you. The pieces kind of fall together pretty quickly. You start to get them. I'm not saying it's complete, but you're going to get the big part down pretty fast. If you came from a place where you've never read that word, you're going to have a lot more trouble sticking the pieces together. If you've come from a place where somebody told you it fit together in a way that it doesn't fit together, they told you things about God that weren't true, you have another dimension of difficulty fitting the pieces together. In a real sense, you ask, what does it mean to disciple? This is the simplicity of disciple. It's you've put your puzzle together 
and you get with somebody who's having trouble putting their puzzle together, and you tell them, you know, that piece goes over here. You got it in the wrong spot. I've been there. I know. And you help them put their puzzle together. All right? But the point we want to make is that there is nothing new. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else you need that you don't have right now. What you need is to take hold of what's there. The Apostle Paul had done that. Go on down with these verses. I'm going to continue there uh, on D. This is under the second part, D. And here's a, here's a verse, probably the most common one among athletes. But anyway, here we go. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, there it is. It's, uh, it's used. In, but it isn't used properly. Okay? But Paul is saying something. This is the outworking of the fact that he was complete in Christ. He knew that he could do all things. Now, what was he saying at this particular time? Let me put it in context. Okay, we've got to do another. Here's another sermon, all right? Paul has just received a gift from the Philippian church. And the letter is actually written as a thanksgiving note. At least a part of it was for a thanksgiving note to tell him, I, I'm grateful for you remembering me because in prison you were taken care of by people outside. And if they don't take care of you, you kind of struggle. And so it was a good thing that they had sent that. But Paul also was, was a discipler and he wanted them not to be confused. He didn't want them to think that while he was in prison that somehow he was sitting there moaning and groaning about the fact that he didn't have enough money or the pressure the prison put on a person. And so he's caught in a bind. He wants to say thank you and he's going to say thank you because it was a good thing they did for him. But they, he doesn't want to be teaching them, but hey, if you hadn't done this, I would have been moaning. And he says, so thank you, but it's not, he says, that I speak from want. He goes on to say, I, I'm not speaking from want. And he says, because I've learned something in life. I've learned how to be content. Now, that word content, if you look it up, in the, is, is an important one. Because content actually was taken, it, it was used ver, a great deal by Stoics. Now, Paul's not being a Stoic here. But the Stoic philosophy was, you had to come to a place where you were sufficient in yourself so that no matter what bumps and bruises life threw at you, you could just be there and be strong. All right? That's, that was a thought of content. That I'm happy no matter what you're doing to me. You can't hurt me. It was, that was the philosophy of the Stoics. You had to be so confident in who you were and what you were that you didn't care what happened on the outside. Now, Paul's not going to say it the exact same way, but he's picking up that word, which means to be happy and contented exactly where you are, to be able to live within the situation you're actually finding yourself. Is that, I've learned how to do that. That's important to what he says there. He doesn't say, I always, I always knew this. He said, I've come, and the learn means, I've been through, put through the test, and I have come to the conclusion at this point that this is reality. I have learned in whatever circumstances I am to be in content. I know how, he says, to be in places where I have everything I want to abound. I have learned how to be abased. That means I've, I've, I've learned how to live in tight circumstances. 
And he says the secret to that, the secret to that is this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter what circumstances God puts me in. Because I am related to Jesus Christ and because I have access to his life as my life, I can face that and have a happy life. That's maybe not the best way to put it, but I can be contented there. I can I can thrive under any circumstance he gives because I have all this completeness in Christ. Now, I want to go back, and I did forget to say one thing, and it's imperative that I get this done. God gives you a package of salvation. We talked about that, the computer. the But the package isn't a package. It's a person. God gives this fullness of salvation to us by relating us to Jesus Christ. See, it's all given to us in him in the person of Jesus Christ, but it is complete. Now, there's something you should stop and ask yourself. Do you really believe that's so? That no matter what happens in your life, it's God's given you enough to face it and to triumph in it. You may not give a positive answer to that right at the moment. You just haven't, you haven't been there. <laughs> you just don't know. All right, um, I'm very sympathetic with people because the growth process is a growth process. I think sometimes one of the problems of having walked with the Lord for a long period of time is you forget how little you knew when you were back there. It's like all those people that say what they did in high school, and you're going like as if in high school they were 40 years old, as if their mindset was the mindset of a of an adult. Don't regard high school as quite adult. It's getting there, but it's not quite. And there are unique features. All right? I have to note that when the group of people who come to the school come to the school, they generally are at an age where they're going to think a certain way. They're not going to think like I think because they're a lot younger than I am. And the things that they're thinking about are just different. Now, that's true for their thinking, but it's also true when somebody pours out <laughs> You remember what it was like when you dumped out the salvation? There it was. Now you're completely saved and you don't, know, you don't have a clue what this means. I was 21 years old when I was converted. I knew some scripture, but not a whole lot. I didn't know how the pieces fit. I came to school here. And I just wanted, Lord, that was only six months after I'd been converted. I, I just, the pieces didn't fit. I just, I just assumed they were here. I didn't even know if they were all there. I mean, I didn't know enough. I hadn't even read the Old Testament all the way through. I mean, there was a whole bunch of Scripture. I'm not sure I'd read the New Testament the whole way through. I might have, but I'm not sure about it. And I didn't understand a whole lot of books. I didn't know too much about who the Lord was. And I was going to have to learn. I was going to have to learn salvation. The sanctification process is the process of learning what you have in Christ. And just like that guy came alongside of me and says, Hey, you know what? Your computer can do an outline without your help. You can just push this button and this button and this button. and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would have never known that if he had come alongside of me and said that. I didn't know that. He knew it because he had already done that. He had already been there. He had proved that computer could do it. And he discipled me in that process. When I came to school here, I was being discipled into Jesus Christ. The pieces are on the table, but I've got, who knows, a mess of, you know, 
I made some big mistakes, certainly. But Paul says, I've learned, I've learned that I can do all things. I can do all things. No matter what life presents, I can face it in Jesus Christ. That's a big plus. Let's look at another one. Paul also speaking. This is uh, from 2 Corinthians. The context here is the matter of of money. It has to do with money, at least the the beginning there. Paul had made a collection uh, from the Corinthians to give a gift to the Palestinian Christians who were suffering. They had been very generous in doing that finally. It took a while, but they finally became very generous in that. And we have to be uh, sympathetic with them because they don't have years and years of church history to of how you give to the church and what God can do for you and all the rest of it. They, they're very young in the Lord, but they had given. And I'm sure that if they had given sacrificially and you don't have any backup in the world, you could come to a conclusion that, hey, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I gave too much. How am I going to make it? And Paul begins to encourage them. And he tells them that, listen, it's all good, and God will take care of you. And in the middle of his description of how God would take care of them, and he's thinking about finances, he's thinking about meeting them, not to give them money, but to enable them to live in the circumstances that their gift had created. He says this, and, my, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you might have an abundance for every good deed. Isn't that wonderful? God's able to do something for you. He says God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now, that all grace is very important here because there are two different ways that the word all can be used in the New Testament. There's two different words for all. One means like all the sugar in the bowl. You know, it's all, it's the whole collection of sugar. The other is a word which means all the things that are in a category, all right? So that if we said, you know, I like all um, M&Ms, that would be the first one. But if I said that I like all forms of candy, I'd be saying every kind of candy. Now, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about grace, right? But what he says is that God is able to do something. And here's what he's able to do. He says he's able to make every kind of grace abound to you. Because different circumstances in your life demand different kinds of supply. And what he's saying here is that there is no situation which you're going to get into that God hasn't made a provision so that he can, in his grace, supply to you what's necessary to experience life. Not to have pleasantness, but to experience life. And look at the way Paul, typical Paul form. He's able to make all grace abound to you. It's not just going to come to you. It's going to abound to you. So that always, that's at all times, having all sufficiency, that means you will be all you need to be. That's the contentment word coming back around there. In everything, you may have an abundance, and this is important, which we'll just get to in just a moment. You might have an abundance so that you can help somebody else. Because the good deeds always have to do with helping other people. Not only is God going to meet you so that you can survive, even though you gave this money away, 
but you're going to be met with the grace of God. Potentially, you could be met with the grace of God so that you would have sufficiency so you could continue to do good things for other people. It's quite a, quite a statement, right? Quite a salvation that he describes here. Point we want to make. If you're in Christ tonight, you've come and you've committed your life to him. Everything you're going to need in life is already in your possession. We don't need to go get something. We need to figure out how to live the life that he is. is given. That's what the life faith is all about, is learning how to use what salvation we have been granted. All right? Now, that all-sufficiency in everything, and we're going on down point three, covers a lot. And you will note here, that the first word in the first four things under that outline are all difficulties. And I know that those who know me well know, that, well, that sounds like him. Yeah, you know, I'm always looking at difficulties. But I just want to tell life is tough. Real life is tough. Real life is uncertain. It's tough, right? I mean, let's face it. Um. If this was all that God had supplied, if we didn't have the hope that there was something better out there, we could wonder about God. I mean, it's, it's an unjust world we live in, right? Justice isn't out there. Diseases are taking people down. I mean, everybody's dying, right? At one speed or another, we're all facing the horrible reality of death. And it is a horrible reality. God didn't make that. It wasn't his plan. But we're facing that, and that causes a difficulty. How much heartache is in this room tonight because of the death of people who you loved and, and the circumstances around those? How much uncertainty is there in this room tonight because economically, the world is really unstable. And money has a way of coming and going very rapidly, and it's real uncertain out there. How much difficulty is there represented in this room because sin has entered into relationships and it's difficult to maintain them on a right plane? How much heartache in this room is there? Because of relationships that have been broken. Children who haven't been what you hoped they would be. Friends that betrayed, let you down. I mean, I'm not trying to be brutal about it, but that's real living. That's what real living was in the Roman Empire. That's what real living is today. It's a hard world to live in. And not only is it a hard world to live in, but here comes a second dimension of it. It's hard because I find out that even though I realize there's problems that if I acted right, I could solve, I still don't act right. I have to fight myself, right? If only I could just be a good guy, we could sort this whole thing out, right? If only I could be the person who in traffic was patient. But I find it hard to be patient, if only I was the person who always told the truth, but there comes that, yeah, I knew I should have, but I didn't. If only I knew I should respect other people, 
and their physical beings and treat them as holy beings, that would be grand. And yet I find that even though I would aim that way, I'm just talking in general about the human race, I aim that way, I still have to fight to keep my mind pure. So there's a problem out there and there's a problem in here. Those are the problems I can identify, right? Then there's the people out there that are all around us. And then there's this, this other ugly feature of life that we don't want to face. That this whole world is being dominated by an evil one. There's a force that you don't see. And you may not even believe exists. But he's out there and he's, he's twisting things and turning them. And you have to live to the glory of God in the middle of this. You have to find life with opposition from general things, with opposition from within, from opposition from other people, and opposition from a power of darkness you can't even see. It's tough life. So that's why I put difficulties there. Now, the good news is that God is able to make all grace abound to you. Every kind of grace abound to you. So that always, having all sufficiency in everything, there might be an abundance unto every good work. He's able to do that. Let me just look at those again. I want to look at them very quickly. The, the difficulties of life in general, we describe them. There's the general needs, and that has, I'm just thinking about just the bumps and bruises. This doesn't have to do with the sin side of the world. This has to do with just the economy, um, aging. I'm talking about cars that break down. <laughs> There's things, all those things that you have to face. And that's a problem. Then there's the second one. I want to I emphasize this one a little bit because this one I think a lot of people have trouble with. A lot of the problems that we have in life are self-generated. Not just because we're sinning now, but because we sinned in the past. And I want to say this to, particularly to people who have come to know the Lord later in life. Well, you could have made some really big mistakes. And here's one of those features of salvation we need to note. When God delivers you, he delivers you inside. He doesn't change the circumstances you're in. That's what we all want, right? We want a God who would change my circumstances and make them easier. He wants to give you life to face the real circumstances that happen to be there. There's not a lot of indication. I've watched it for years and years and years, but I don't find a lot of indication that God delivers you from the, the, the results of the mistakes you made before you were a Christian. We can think of that in, in obvious ways. If before I was a Christian, I uh, got in a car, got drunk, and drove it into a tree and broke my back and can't, and I'm paralyzed, and I come to Christ and put my life in his hands, that doesn't get me out of that wheelchair. I'm still in that wheelchair. Now, that's a physical thing, but the same thing can be happening. It happens in emotional things. I mean, if you have done things to people, <laughs> you're going to have to live with that. Now, here's the point. God won't change those circumstances, but let me say this to you. It's very important. He's able to make every kind of grace abound to you. So that you can know real life despite the consequences of what has happened in the past that you caused to happen. Sometimes think that that's sort of an excluded territory as if if I make a mistake and 
I bear the consequences of this. I just have to live with that. Well, you do have to live with it. I'm not going to argue with that. You have to live with it. But God can meet you to experience sufficiency in the middle of that. So that always having sufficiency. He is a God of great grace. He's able to make grace abound to you. You're going to need grace to handle that. But then he goes on down here to, again, difficulties. You've got the inward sin. You've got the culture. You've got the spiritual darkness. And if you find life in all that, I want you to know, it's not so you can just have a, a pleasant experience. It's so that at the very end of that, you can actually meet somebody else's need. Because if you want to experience real life, your life is going to be one which is aimed at blessing other people. Because that's what the Lord is. He lived to meet the needs of others. That's what he lived on this earth. If he's in me, that's the goal of all these other things is to give me the life so that I am freed from self-concern to the point where I can become concerned about other people, whether they're in my family or in my church or my neighbors or my co-workers or, anyway, all down the line. Okay, so what have we gotten so far? Because we still have one more point. All right, So far we've figured this one out. But in this life, in this, this period between here, there is a time when I have something given to me at the very beginning. That's justification, which is complete and forever. Doesn't change. It is perfect. You always can come to God because of that. You have out ahead of you, if you know the Lord, you have an eternity, which is perfect. That's what our great hope is. We will be there one day. And in between here, we live out a, a circumstance this is the time where God wants us to experience life under pressure. We will be overcomers right to the end. He's going to sanctify us. We have a perfect salvation which is given to us in total at the very beginning. But we have an imperfect circumstance because we have to figure it out. This is what Paul's talking about in Philippians when he says, work out your own salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. You've got it in your hands. Now work it out with fear and trembling because God's at work in you. You're going to have the help of the Spirit of God to get this done. You're going to have the direction of the Word of God to get it done. You're going to have the work of God through His people to help you. You're going to have a lot of help on this, but you're still going to have to work it out with fear and trembling. He's at work in you, both to will and to do of his own good pleasure. Now, if that's true, where do we start in this life of faith? Now, again, I want a disclaimer here. This is just one of those I always hate. You know, but I came to school. I was so hungry to just get hold of things. I just listened to whatever Mr. Carroll said, and I wrote it down. I, I failed to uh, write down a lot of references who he said said that. All right, so I got an awful lot of quotes that I do not know. I do not know. I've tried to figure it out, and I can't find the source of this. But I know he was reading it to us, so it was a quote. And I'm pretty sure it was from Hanley Mole. But he said this. He said, the first thing in the Christian life is rejoicing. He said, the first thing in the Christian life is rejoicing. And then the quote went on pretty much like this. It's not the most important thing in the Christian life, but it is the first thing that we do. Right? So in order of experience, we always rejoice first. Now, there was a time, you know, when I, 
I first heard about joy and, and they were comparing joy and happiness. And I got this false impression, I think, at the time that happiness was when you had good things happen to you and you got excited about it. Somehow I thought at the beginning that was wrong. You know, that's just the way things are. You know, when your team wins, you get happy. All right. Uh, when you get a raise, you get happy. Uh, when, you know, anyway, you get all these things, something goes right, you're happy about it. But joy was something which was completely separated from circumstances. Well, I I would agree with that. It's separated from the earthly circumstances. But it was almost as if I thought that joy was something that happened to me. I just, if I'm walking right with the Lord, then joy just kind of comes in. Now, there's a certain extent, because, oh, it's, it's a fruit of the Spirit. I know it's the fruit of the Spirit. But so is love, and Love is something I have to work out, right? I just don't, and uh, joy and peace. All right, there are steps to this. You see, joy is the result. Even if you move it into the spiritual realm, it's the result of of realizing what is true that is good. Right? That's why you often have joy. You don't just suddenly burst into whoopee. You know, if you do, well, anyway, that's a different program. All right. You have a joyous response to a circumstance which is right or good or pleasant or answers a need. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? It's very important you keep that together. You don't just rejoice. You rejoice in the Lord. All right. You rejoice because of who he is. And the first step in this life of faith is to get clear that I am going to rejoice because of who Jesus is and what he has done, whether I get it or don't get it, whether I understand it or don't understand it, whether I can experience it or don't experience it. Does that make sense? So what, what would it mean to rejoice? See, what am I saying? I'm saying, you want to rejoice in the Lord. Here's one that has been greatly helpful to me. You get in the middle of a circumstance, and all of a sudden, you, you're, here you are, and you don't know which end is up. You don't know which way to go. You can't even think of a verse that applies. You know, it's just, here we are, and what am I going to do about this one? And then you remember this. I've said, I will never, ever leave you, and I'll never let you down. I don't know what to do. And this doesn't help me know what to do, but it helps me rejoice, Right? Because if I take hold of that, if I realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be right with me, no matter how confused I am, no matter how difficult, he's right here. And I go back, I go back to what's, what does God say about it? He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's rejoicing in the Lord, right? I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you're saying, well, I don't know, I'm in this, I'm stuck in this thing. And then all of a sudden you say, you know what? Here's a great one to rejoice in. Jesus is always alive to make intercession for you. That's what it says in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7 says he, he's able to save you completely. He's able to deliver. Another verse that go with our stuff here. He is able to answer every single need you will ever have. And he can do that because he watches your life and prays for you. How about that? Every day, the Lord praying for you. That's what he says. So, oh, I'm not worthy of that. But yeah, but it doesn't say anything about worth. 
because he committed himself to bringing every person who ever committed themselves to him all the way safely to glory. He started the good work. Here's a good one to rejoice in. He who began the good work in you will do what? He will finish it until that day. So all during this time, it's going to go right. That may not help you to know what to do, or it may not help you to overcome the problem you're trying to overcome, but it does cause you to rejoice, and that gets your mindset the right direction in the life of faith. Right? It's not the most important thing in the life of faith, but it is the first thing. So knowing that I am complete in the Lord, the first thing I should do is begin to focus on that. Let me, let me go one step beyond that, and then I'll, we'll finish there. One of the best helps that you can give to a fellow believer is to help them see what the Lord is so that together you can rejoice. People filled with the Spirit speak to one another in psalms and hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody. That's joyous melody in their hearts in the Lord. That's what they do. So that I'm to do that, but I'm to do that for you. That's part of the job that I have when I get up here on a Monday night is to encourage you about who Jesus is and say hallelujah together for the greatness of what he is, right? That's part of my job. But that's part of our job towards one another, right? To remember, please, Lord, what do we what do we learn tonight? What what do we get out of all this? Because the beginning of our experience, first of all, that we have three parts to our salvation. Part of it's finished we have a right relationship with god if you've entrusted yourself to god we have a glorious future a hope that we can look forward to and in just a few minutes we'll all be there and it'll be it'll be wonderful but in this time between the two ends god has given us already a full salvation which is capable of giving us the experience of life no matter what circumstances we happen to encounter whether those circumstances are external, internal, or demonic. It doesn't matter. He has made us complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our job now is to figure out how to, how to get there. How are we, we going to lay hold of that? And that's what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the, the winter. Is What does God say about how to take hold of that in particular circumstances? How do we make that a reality? But at the very beginning, what should we do? We should rejoice. We should rejoice. Rejoice in the fact that his salvation is complete, whether I understand it or not. Rejoice in the fact that he is with me, whether I know what to do or don't know what to do. The Lord's a wonderful being. He's a wonderful person. It's wonderful to walk with him. And we have that wonderful opportunity because of his grace towards us. He's able to make what? Every kind of grace overflow to us so that always having all sufficiency in everything there might be an overflow to good works to the glory of god let's pray father we come and ask you to use these things in our hearts fix our vision on jesus christ enable us to walk in him we pray in jesus name amen